You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Um, today's main focus, just one quick thing I want to point out because I thought it was a little bit funny. Um, but today's main focus, I've, I've had a lot of, kind of a lot of calls about predictions, right? What do you think about the over-under on this or the over-under on that? And I thought, although obviously we can't know, it might be kind of fun to just take whatever information we have. It doesn't have to be on the whole team. I don't want to do the whole team. But we can take whatever information we have, especially about the unknowns, and try to apply, you know, a little bit of information that's out there, whether that be from other teams or from, from what we see, have seen with Love or whoever, and answer the question, okay, you get 17 weeks, let's just assume health. What would that look like? How many yards? How many touchdowns? Etc. I thought it would be interesting. We'll go until I feel like I don't, I'm bored with this. <laughs> but um, I definitely want to look at Jordan Love. I was kind of poking around with some of the numbers on that. Um, but anyways, I, I, I promise we're not going to spend a bunch of time talking about running back, but I just wanted to bring up this one thing. Las Vegas Raiders' Devontae Adams says, The Raiders need Josh Jacobs for a shot at a Super Bowl. Number one, this is why I don't trust... NFL players who are complimenting and if any NFL players doesn't mean they're always wrong or always lying but for the most part they're almost always going to be positive and again th- this comes down to oh what you don't you you trust your your numbers more than you trust a player yes yes in this instance I do because I know for a fact he's wrong and in fact the the top comment here the one at the top that I see is the uh the most obvious. It says, the Raiders are not winning the Super Bowl with or without Josh Jacobs, which is a funny comment, but if you think about it, they already have him. How's that Super Bowl coming along? You say, well, that, you know, that's, it's not because of him. It's, it's because you need other play. You need a quarterback or whatever. Exactly. It's not because of him. If you're struggling to win a Super Bowl, you're struggling to win games, you're struggling to even get in or near the playoffs, you know what you don't need? A running back. You want proof? The Raiders, who have probably the best running back in football. It's not helping. Would you like Josh Jacobs? Of course, anybody would like to have Josh Jacobs. But the fact that he's not going to move the needle, and the fact that, yes, if you go and find a quarterback that can do it, that will move the needle, that's all the evidence you need to demonstrate quarterback pay, running back pay. Now, all things being equal, let's say you are a Super Bowl. Would the Chiefs love to have Josh Jacobs because it's going to help their odds of winning Super Bowl? Yeah. But it's hilarious that the Kansas City Chiefs just won the Super Bowl with a running back that I couldn't even tell you who he is, while the Raiders are sitting in the basement and Devontae's like, yeah, Josh Jacobs is the key. We need him to win. No, you don't. Every team that's ever won a Super Bowl didn't have Josh Jacobs on it, so I can assure you that's not the case. So yeah, I am always skeptical. And so when people are talking about, oh, you trust your data more than you trust uh, NFL players, I I trust the data to be objective. I don't trust players to be objective. That's the point. The data is willing to give hard truths more so than players are willing to give hard truths about their friends. 
especially when it doesn't impact them at all. They know that they're not the ones making the decisions. It's the easiest thing in the world to come out and just support your brothers. It doesn't cost you anything. Why wouldn't you do that? Well, you think Devontae is going to come out and be like, well, the data says we should probably just get rid of him and not pay him because screw that guy. You're not going to do that. So yes, I don't trust NFL players as NFL experts for that reason. It's actually quite similar to like if, if somebody who's really good with numbers was best friends with a player and came up with some formula to prove that that was the best player in football, would you trust it? No, because you can manipulate data too. Just like you can manipulate the film and everything else. Like, well, technically, you know, like Kurt Bankert saying, no, he wasn't open on that play when there's no defender anywhere in the world around Christian Watson. Nobody within 10 yards, and you're saying you can't fit a football in there. I'm sorry. I don't buy that. And again, it is unfortunate because, I mean, wouldn't you love to learn be amazing if, if I felt like I could trust a lot of these guys because they know a lot of stuff. And you can watch it and still learn things. I was spending a lot of time yesterday watching J.T. O'Sullivan, um, which, well, I'm, I'm not going to... But at the very least, you know, the, the talking about um, X's and O's, non-player specific, that, that's, that's where I think that they have a lot of value, breaking down how zone things work. Although... I, I think the big negative, at least for me, with J.T. O'Sullivan and maybe some other guys is they're good players, not necessarily great teachers. <laughs> and maybe it's just me, but getting lost in the weeds way too often. Like, here's this, but also it could be this. We call it, we call it schlibflab, and then, but sometimes you can bring this. But you got to watch this guy because he can go here, here, and then this guy can go here. But none of that's important. What we're really focused on is this. Okay, then don't say it because I'm lost now. But anyways, that would be where there's, in my opinion, more value then, yeah, the film says you need running backs to win Super Bowls. Oh, okay, great. And yeah, that does apply to a lot of Jordan Love stuff. It's, it's why every time a player on the Packers talks about Jordan Love, I'll talk about it, but it's like, come on, dude, does it really, do we really care? What else are they going to say? Like, look, he's trying. He, I'm worried because he's not very good, but, you know, he's doing his best out there. We'll see. I don't know. But anyways, all right, let's, uh, let's have some fun. I want to look at Jordan Love. Um, the big question has been, Jordan Love over or under 4,000 passing yards. And again, we don't have enough data, but I just want to apply some, I guess, a little bit of rationality to the question and, and just try to give some kind of information rather than just kind of going off a hunch, I guess. I'm going to answer it, I guess, the way that I want to answer it. And so I think the, the easiest way for me would be simply by looking at a quarterback's yards per attempt and then multiplying that by how many attempts you think that they're going to have. The immediate problem I had with that was that his yards per attempt were, compared to the rest of the NFL, would have been above everybody else in the NFL, which isn't an impossible thing necessarily, but it's an unlikely thing. So then I started looking at his average depth of target, because you could say, well, if he's dumping it off and people are just running with it, you know, it, which um, is not uh, at an unsustainable rate. You could just look at his average depth of target and say, okay, compare that to Rodgers. If Rodgers is throwing this far down the field and Jordan's throwing this far down the field, there's, you can see that as a discrepancy there. If you assume that they throw about the same amount of times, which of course you can't, maybe they're going to run the ball more, maybe they're going to run the ball less, maybe they're going to pass more because they have a better offense, maybe they're going to pass less because they have a less good offense and they can't stay on the field, they can't get first downs. I don't know any of that information. So... I want to normalize things like that, that it's, that I don't have a way of, um, I don't, I don't, first of all, I don't want to put too many variables in it. 
because this is all just made up nonsense. So it's good to just sort of um, normalize some stuff. And one of those things is attempts. If Aaron Rodgers had this many attempts, then Jordan Love in the same offense is going to have that many attempts. So if you look at it as, at yards per attempt and you make it higher, then he's going to have more yards. And you just multiply Aaron Rodgers' attempts by Jordan Love's yards per attempt and you have a new number. But if you think that that number is inflated, you could look at average depth of target. In this case, Jordan Love's average depth of target is actually less than Aaron Rodgers. And then you can factor it in that way, right? Take Rodgers' yards divided by his average depth of target multiplied by Jordan Love's average depth of target, and you get a new number. And that was initially how I went about it, because I was like, let's just go with that. Let's just say that Aaron, uh, Jordan doesn't throw as deep down the field as Aaron, and so you end up with a lesser number. And uh, I think it was, um, well, let's not think. Let's just look at it. So if, if you did it that way, uh, well, let's look at it both ways. Let's just use yards per attempt, first of all. If we took Aaron Rodgers' 542 attempts and multiplied it by Jordan Love's 9.3 yards per attempt, he would have 5,040 yards. Now, that obviously is top in the NFL crazy, right? It's not necessarily impossible, but the number one yards per attempt among quarterbacks that actually played you know, a decent amount, Tua played 13 games, was 8.9 yards per attempt. It's pretty close, but nobody really was able to get there. Um, two quarterbacks were closer, but they didn't really play very much. Nick Mullins was at nine yards per attempt, the only quarterback in the entire NFL to take a single snap that had a higher yards per attempt than Jordan Love was Jacob Eason. He only had five attempts, and he had 11.8 yards per attempt. So it's unlikely that he sustains that for the year. And again, I thought, okay, I, I usually don't ever use average depth of target for anything. I find it to be a useless stat, but in this case, it makes sense. Again, kind of normalizing the yards um, after the catch per attempt. In other words, I don't think Jordan will have more yards after the catch from his receiving group. He may because there's going to be more Christian Watson. There's going to be more Jaden Reed, obviously. The tight ends will probably have more yards per attempt than you get from guys like Lazard and Cobb. But let's just pretend it's exactly the same. If that's the case, then average depth of target actually makes sense. And in fact, we could try to turn average depth of target into yards per attempt and come up with a different number. But again, all that work isn't necessarily necessary. We could simply take Aaron Rodgers' 3,695 yards, divide it by his average depth of target, which was 8.5 yards, multiply it by Jordan Love's 7.8 yards per target, and come up with a number. In this case, that number would be 3,391 yards. For reference, um, that would put him at 3 3, that would put him at uh, 16th between Dak Prescott and Derek Carr in terms of total yardage thrown. So, not the worst, and I think it probably would make sense for a lot of people to look at it and go, oh, he's right in the middle. You know, it's kind of all we're really asking is to be in the middle. I mean, Aaron Rodgers was 11th, so it's, it's less than Rodgers in terms of yardage. But if we're shooting for kind of just be middle of the pack, well, I mean, that's obviously not what we're shooting for, but if we're kind of labeling him or just saying, you know, just be average for the first year or, or whatever, he's kind of in that range. But as I looked a little closer, I had one issue with even that number. You know, one, one of the... The big things, if you talk to Bears fans or whatever, talk about his yards per attempt, and they're like, yeah, well, all he did was throw a little dump-off pass who took it to the house. It was Christian Watson. Here's the problem, though. Jordan Love came in in three other games, right? Philly was the only one that he actually played a, a decent chunk. Um, the other games, I mean, I guess they were all kind of similar, but that was his biggest. The other games, like, for example, he had... Um, five attempts against Minnesota, four against the Jets, and three against Minnesota. 
If you look at his average depth of target against Philadelphia, it wasn't dink and dunk. He had an 11.4 average depth of target. 11.4 yards. That's also incredibly high, but it's not um, completely out of the realm of possibility. For example, Jameis Winston was at 12. He didn't play a ton, but we know he's a big average depth of, uh, depth of target guy. Marcus Mariota was at 10.5, which is shocking, actually. And you've also got guys like Josh Allen, 10.2. Tua was at 10.1. Mitch was at 10. But the point is, um, when you look at it, it's a little bit unfair because we're calling him a dink and dunk quarterback, despite the fact that the one time he actually came into play, he had a really deep average depth of target, but it's being dragged down, especially by the Minnesota game, where he had 3.3 yards uh, average depth of target. But he's just coming in in the last seconds of the game. You're not trying to go out there and air it out and win a football game like he was against Philadelphia. When Jordan Love came in the New York Jets game, it was in the fourth quarter with two minutes and 34 seconds left, and the Packers were down 27-10. to 10. Probably even worse than that, when Jordan Love came in for his uh, one drive against the Minnesota Vikings, the Packers were up 41-10. to 10. There was six minutes left. So I tried to think of different ways to do it. You could... You could take basically the two or three games that he played where he actually had some kind of decent snap amounts and then look at that average depth of target. Or, or and this might be unfair to you, can do it any way you want. But I'm just trying to get a, a, an area where we can find a realistic number to work with. And again, I don't see average depth of target necessarily as a talent thing. Like if you have a higher average depth of target, you're a better quarterback. It might be a better offense. But it's just a gauge of, of how you play. What about the preseason? And, and again, it's not, it's not like, well, that's not fair because you're playing garbage competition and he's just going to carve them up. I don't think you can go back and watch those preseason games and say that that looked unrealistic. It was just Jordan Love carving people up. Not really. And in fact, there's some level of consistency there with his average depth of target throughout the preseason. He finished in 2022 with 9.2 as his average depth of target, 7.6 in 2021. So his career average depth of target over the last two years in the preseason, is 8.7, which is actually very similar <laughs> to Aaron Rodgers. So if we look at it from a more optimistic standpoint, instead of 7.8, we say 8.7. Obviously, it doesn't change the needle a ton from Rodgers' 8.5, but it bumps up his yardage to 3,781. That would put him 11th. So I think, in, in, and again, you... you, you kind of nitpick and you go over all these different scenarios and then you realize he's kind of just falling in a range and, and you can certainly up this or, or down it based on other things but that puts him obviously just slightly above Aaron Rodgers but behind Jalen Hurts and it's under 4,000 and really unless we can assume that there's more attempts or that his yards per attempt actually stays really really high throughout the entire season which I think is somewhat unrealistic I don't think he gets to 4,000 yards because again, remember, you know, we, we, I think a lot of times we think about how many yards, how many touchdowns, all these things as just a function of how good you are. Really, it's just multiplying yards per attempt times attempts. That's really all we're doing. Pat Mahomes threw for almost 6,000 yards. Yeah, well, he had 747 attempts and throws for eight yards per attempt. He has the highest yards per attempt of anybody in the entire NFL and had the second most attempts of anybody in the entire NFL. We can make up whatever scenario we want, but... Um, I, I personally want to ground it in some kind, you know, a starting point. And the starting point is what Aaron Rodgers did because Aaron Rodgers played in this same offense with the same play caller and the same scheme. Largely, I know that's debatable. 
and just start from there and say, you know, 11th most attempts at 542 and probably fairly similar in terms of yards per attempt or average depth of target. And again, you could say a little bit more, but it doesn't move the needle a ton. And without really twisting and, and churning this thing into something that I'm, I'm kind of just making up numbers, I can't quite get it to 4,000. It's close. You can get it close. And, and again, if you do yards per attempt, you can get it to 5,000 if you keep them at 9.1 or whatever it was. But being significantly above Pat Mahomes, and a lot of this is the efficiency of the offense, right? I mean, e- even if you look at average depth of target or, or yards per attempt to some degree, we're talking about, you know, remember, everybody wants those explosive plays. It's just kind of a function of how good are you at that. So you're looking at the Andy Reeds and the Kyle Shanahan's and saying they do a good job of getting people open deep and finding ways to attack deep down the field because every offense wants to do that. It's just a matter of can you do it well? And I, I you know, I'm hopeful for Matt LaFleur and Jordan Love, but is he going to be above where Andy Reed is? Probably not. See, I've got him just a shade under 4,000, somewhere between like the 16th and 10th in terms of, and, and the rankings are, you know, it's based on 2022. Every year is a little bit different in terms of how many people throw for how many yards. That same uh, yardage that would make him 11th last year would have made him 16th or 17th, actually, in 2021. A lot of passing going on in 2021. All right, and then from there, what about touchdowns and interceptions? Well, again, we've got this kind of weird thing with Jordan where he played a little bit, um, and the little bit is going to kind of throw some things off. For example, he didn't throw any interceptions, so multiply zero by 17, what are you going to get? Or multiply by whatever number. But if we just look at his one touchdown over 21 attempts and multiply it by the 542 Aaron had, that would put him at 26, which is exactly what Aaron had. So as much as it's like, well, that's stupid to just go based on that one touchdown, because there's definitely not enough information there, it is kind of funny that it puts it exactly at 26. If we look at his career, which anytime you multiply it by looking at 2021 and 2022, it's going to be somewhat negative because obviously 2021 was not very good. He's at 20 touchdowns. And since in his career, he's had three touchdowns and three interceptions because he had two to two and three last year, that would be 20 touchdowns and 20 interceptions. Now, again, that's heavily influenced by 2021, which is clearly not his best year ever. But if you go to the preseason, it doesn't get any better. As a career in the preseason, four touchdowns, five interceptions. You say, okay, we'll isolate 2022. Three touchdowns, four interceptions. There's no way to really get around the high interceptions. And unfortunately, a lot of it, you know, in the preseason, he threw three picks against San Francisco. He's thrown four in the entire preseason. But if we look at, instead of just turnovers, his turnover-worthy plays, because sometimes plays get turned over that were not his fault, and that is part of it. Um, His turnover-worthy play percentage was 3.5%, which is still relatively high. That would be, that would put him 25th, uh, 25th best with Matthew Stafford. Um... However, interestingly enough, Jared Goff was at 3.6, just slightly worse. He had seven interceptions on the season. On the other hand, Dak Prescott, who was 3.8, just a little bit worse than that, had 17. So it, it really is just a function of, okay, how turnover prone are you in terms of what percentage? And, and, and we can figure this out. Again, let's look at how many of his attempts are potentially turnovers. Aaron Rodgers is at 2.9, which is obviously high for him still less than what Jordan was doing in, you know, again, the preseason. But if we take the Aaron Rodgers attempts at 542, and how many of those passes are going to end up in harm's way, it's at 16. So you look at that and say, okay, 16 times 
he's going to put the ball in harm's way. Now, I don't have the numbers, nor do I care to find the numbers. What percentage of turnover-worthy plays actually turn into turnovers? Based on how few turnovers quarterbacks have, I would guess it's maybe half, if that. But then also there's going to be turnovers that are not your fault. So I would put 16 as kind of the ceiling. If for every dropped interception or, you know, potential interception that is not intercepted, if every single dropped interception is compensated by an interception that was not his fault, then we have it at 16. So on the high end, we're talking, what, 3,700 yards, 26 touchdowns, 16 interceptions, which is almost identical to what Rodgers had, obviously, because we're using Rodgers as a baseline here. But he had 3,700 yards, 26 touchdowns, and 12 interceptions. So take Aaron Rodgers' stats, add four interceptions, basically the exact same thing. Now, again, I, I tend to think that might be on the high side of interceptions. For example, Rodgers' turnover-worthy play percentage should have put him right at 16. It was 15.7. So in reality, if we also look at it in terms of how many of those harm's way throw, what, what percentage of interceptions was it in relation to how many interceptions he should have had, maybe Jordan Love sitting at closer to 13. Because again, Rodgers had, according to this, is 15.7, so 16 of his passes should have been intercepted, 12 of them were. And again, a lot of those interceptions were not his fault. So really, I mean, we're talking 7, 8, 9 maybe, of his 16 should-be interceptions actually got intercepted. So if you're just putting me on the spot, and I'm just going to kind of round, you know, up, down, whatever, 3,700 yards... 24 touchdowns, 13 interceptions. And while that is similar to Rodgers, I think we all get kind of confused because, you know, well, Rodgers is an elite player, blah, blah, blah. It's actually probably a little bit closer to what we saw from Derek Carr, which makes more sense because then we don't have to get confused about, well, you know, you're saying he's as good as Rodgers? Like, well, 2022 Rodgers, which is different. Let's just say 2022 Rodgers was closer to Derek Carr, and Derek Carr is, is closer to what I expect Jordan Love to look like this year which is not a terrible thing. Carr had 3,548 yards, 8.9 yards per attempt, so quite high, which maybe it will be. 25 touchdowns and, um, excuse me, looking at the wrong guy, 24 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. And yeah, it, it's, it's a lot of interceptions, but you know what? Joe Burrow had 14 interceptions. Kirk Cousins had 14 interceptions. Josh Allen had 17 interceptions. I think if nothing else, that's one thing as a Packers fan base we're going to have to get over. And it's actually a good thing that we had Rodgers play the way he did last year because it's, you know, we saw it, right? 12 interceptions is not a small amount of interceptions. It was tied for the ninth most. So it's good to kind of get a little bit more acclimated to more like a realistic number of expectation of, of what most quarterbacks do. Like Pat Mahomes also had 12 as opposed to this guy that throws like 35 touchdowns and four interceptions all season and then go into a guy that's slightly elevated interception numbers over even average, it's going to be a shock to the system. But no matter who the quarterback is, even if we get Caleb Williams after this, you're going to have to get used to more interceptions because nobody did what Rodgers did when it came to interceptions. So yeah, there's, there's going to be picks, and there's going to be ugly ones, and we're going to be sitting there saying, Rodgers would never have done that. It's like, well, no kidding. You can watch Pat Mahomes and say that. Anyways, let's take a break here. On the other side, I want to flip through a few of our players, wide receivers, Lucas Van Ness, stuff like that. We'll see how much we can get covered. We'll take a break. Uh, wait a minute. First of all, big giant shout out to Mr. Evan Hopkins as well as Jeffrey Machetti. I don't know, but thanks a lot for the uh, support on Venmo. You can hit up my Venmo Packernet podcast or on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. 
In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, so I'm interested in the Christian Watson thing. Um, Again, I'll throw in the caveat just to be sure that, um, you know, all this is somewhat flimsy and by somewhat i mean almost entirely but it, it, it's better to look at the data and try to get some kind of a framework and and from my perspective it's one way of kind of creating sort of a baseline and saying you know if he's below this maybe it wasn't great if he's above this then maybe he's better than what i thought and as arbitrary as it may be i would rather this than in a, a, a massively arbitrary line like 1000 yards you know because again you can have a great year and be less than a thousand yards or you can be the only wide receiver on a team. I mean, granted, I think if you hit a thousand yards, you're probably pretty solid. But you know, usage and those kinds of things factor in. So, um, really, I, I want to keep this a one a little bit more simplistic and probably a little bit more optimistic, just because we actually saw more Christian Watson. Um, the touchdowns I don't think are necessarily going to be replicated. However, I am going to keep the yards per route run the same so really the only question is how many routes is he going to run it's the only variable left and um you know when you look at it you say well it's 2.26 but that's a little bit you know i don't think that that's you know was there like one game or one series you know those three four weeks when he got all those touchdowns is that win no not really if you look at his yards per route run per game um it's very up and down week to week just like everything else um his final week was 3.71 but his highest was actually week 10 against Dallas, 5.10. Um, the next highest, or well, pretty close to it, was two weeks prior to that even in Buffalo, where it was four yards per route run. So uh, I don't see anything in there that says, yeah, that maybe that's a little bit flimsy. I think it was mostly maintained throughout the year. And in fact, the second half of the year was even more so. I mean, the, the first four weeks, it was incredibly low. So if anything, it may go up. But I'm going to keep it at 2.26, which which is, to be sure, an elite number. 2.26 yards per route run is absolutely elite. But the question then is, how many routes is he going to run? And that's where it gets to be a little bit tricky because 
you know, you, you look at it and say, well, Lazard was our number one wide receiver, but even that was kind of iffy. I think feel like Christian kind of took his job here and there and whatever, but um, I don't want to go back to Devontae and say, well, let's go back to when we had a true number one, because I don't know that Christian's going to be the number one. It may be, although there was a lot of fluctuation, probably more so last year with who our wide receivers were. We, we've got something similar with, you know, you, we know we got Christian, we know we got Romeo. After that, we'll see, probably Reed, probably a little bit of Samori Ture, but then, you know, Wicks could come in, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm just going to use Alan Lazard as the benchmark. Now, I had said before, I have Christian Watson under 1,000 yards. And, and the reason that I did that is if you look at how many yards he got and kind of, um, you know, normalize the amount of games or whatever, or even receptions, you know, if you look at yards per reception over how many receptions and things like that. But again, the problem with that is he didn't run a lot of routes, which means not as many opportunities. So if you take his 270 routes and up it to 488, he's actually at 1,104 yards. So if he's able to maintain that 2.26 yards per route run and runs as many routes as Alan Lazard did last year, which is 488, which shouldn't be that hard to attain... We're looking at 1,104. Now, just to be clear, um, it's entirely possible he runs more routes because he's not going to be up and down or whatever. If, if you give him sort of Devontae numbers, in other words, we really don't take him off the field very much. I mean, Devontae wasn't on the field every single snap, but very clear number one. You're looking at over 1,300 yards. Now, as far as touchdowns, you look at it and say, okay, he had a ridiculous number of touchdowns. That won't happen again. What if just for fun... We take the three-touchdown game, bring it down to one, and the two-touchdown game, bring it down to one. You still have four touchdowns over four games. I'm not going to make it less than that because it's not that ridiculous to get, you know, one... I mean, and honestly, he didn't get any over the last four games. You're talking over eight games, four touchdowns, right? Even if you do that, if you just arbitrarily strip away three touchdowns in two games... If you normalize his routes for Alan Lazard's, it brings him back up to seven, and that doesn't include any of the rushing touchdowns. So it, it puts him back at, you know, you, you look at it and say last year was unrealistic to have that many touchdowns with so few opportunities, but I think a normal amount of touchdowns for him, which is nine if you add in the rushing touchdowns, and, and that may actually be more because he's getting more actual time in the offense, but I think two seems realistic. You could be looking at another nine. Now, if you don't do that, which, again, I don't think you necessarily have to because he went, like I said, the last four games without a single touchdown. If you just look at the seven, it'll be 12.6, or I guess we'll round up to 13 touchdowns. So 1,100 yards and 13 touchdowns. And, that, and again, that doesn't include the rushing touchdowns. If we add that in, it's 16 total touchdowns. Now, that does sound kind of crazy, but it, it's not like Jordan Love, holy cow, he's a top quarterback in football type stuff. I mean, that's, he. it's, again, if we just remove the... Um, the rushing, because I don't know how many rushing touchdowns these guys have. It might be zero. I don't know. But it's it's kind of in the, the range of, it, he, it would be top 10, but not much better. It's, it's right at Jamar Chase, who was ninth in yards. All right, Christian Kirk was there at 10th. He had 1,238 and 10 touchdowns. Jamar had 1,266 and 11 touchdowns. You say, well, there's no way he's Jamar. He doesn't have to be Jamar. Remember, the Cincinnati Bengals have 2,000-yard receivers on that team. This is also a question of who's going to be stealing, you know, targets away from Christian. If T. Higgins didn't have 1,177 yards and eight touchdowns, how much more would Jamar Chase have? So it is somewhat pie in the sky, but I think at the same time, it also illustrates how good of a season he had. It's basically saying he had the equivalent 
of a 1,100-yard, what did I say, 12-touchdown, 13-touchdown season. And it depends if you go with the 1,100 or 1,300, I guess. If you if you say 11, because nobody had that many touchdowns, but kind of close to about Brandon Ayuk, who was 17th, had 1,108 touchdowns, or Amari Cooper had 1,160 and 9 touchdowns. But you see what I mean? Like, we're talking about, okay, top 20 wide receiver is all we're talking about here. When you think about it in those terms, it's not that crazy. Now, there is no guarantee he stays that high in terms of yards per route run, and I, I wouldn't um, try to pretend that he has to, but I'm not going to strip that away from him. He earned that, and unless and until he shows to be worse than that, then that's what I'm going to um, gonna say he did, because he, the guy ran, what, 270 routes? That's not a small sample size. It ain't 50. It's not 20. It's 270. That's a lot of routes, man. All right, let's play that same game with Romeo Dobbs. Again, this game is kind of impossible because you had Lazard, who was the number one. Number two was Tunyon. So I guess you could say Tunyon, but if you didn't want to, you go to the next one. Well, then it's Aaron Jones. Well, if you go to the next one, it's Romeo Dobbs. Well, Dobbs played 13 games, so, you know, that that doesn't really work. So I guess we'd have to go with Tunyon, who is at 370 compared to Lazard's 488. Again, it, it's super weird numbers, but let's just roll with it. So Romeo Dobbs was at 1.36 yards per route run, ran 312 routes. It's not that big of an increase, but let's just bump it up to 370. That would put Romeo Dobbs at 503.2, so 503 yards. Now, that's that's pretty drastic, right? But at the same time, you know, again, look at the amount of routes run by all these different guys. How many are, you know, Jaden Reed going to run? Because it drops off pretty fast. Are we really saying Jaden Reed's going to run sub 300 or Musgrave? Now, again, maybe there won't be as much of a rotation, so it'll be actually the number one and number two might actually see more um, than what we saw here. So it might be closer to 400. I don't know. So let's just real quick look at a, a different team. Let's look at the Pittsburgh Steelers because the Pittsburgh Steelers have two young receivers in Deontay Johnson and George Pickens and probably a little bit closer to a number one and a number two than than some of these other um more defined role. So Deontay Johnson actually was number one at 614. George Pickens ran 580. So again, if we go back to Christian Watson, you're looking at closer to 1,300 yards, which in reality, I'm guessing if you look at pretty much every other team's number one wide receiver, assuming they played the season and were an actual number one wide receiver, not getting replaced by rookies at some point, you're probably going to see closer to 600 routes run, which puts him at the 1,300 yard mark. Just saying. But then the number two would be sitting at about 580. So, you know, let, let's just roll with that 580. That's what George Pickens ran last year as the, the number two receiver, number two in terms of usage. In that case, Romeo Dobbs is looking at 789. Now, again, we got to kind of break all the and, and honestly, I kind of like this breakdown here. Maybe Aaron Jones would have a little bit more. Najee Harris is number four with 297. But you got Deontay Johnson, number one, Christian Watson. George Pickens, number two, Romeo Dobbs. Then Pat Fryermuth you would presume would be Musgrave, then Najee Harris, Jones, then Zach Gentry, the tight end, could be Tucker Craft, then Jalen Warren after that, A.J. Dillon, then Steven Sims, wide receiver. Now, there's probably going to be three wide receivers a little bit closer together as opposed to two, but again, I don't want to get so massively in the weeds here, but it gives us a good, um, a good frame of reference. So Romeo Dobbs kind of on the low end is about 500 yards. On the high end maybe 800, probably 750-ish. And again, it's 
it seems kind of crazy to go to these extremes, but if you really look at it, the extreme low and the extreme high, it gives you a pretty small range. 500 to 750. Call it 500 to 800. And Christian Watson, again, about 1,100 to probably about 1,400. Because if you use Deontay Johnson's 614, it puts him at like 1,380. I would continue with the wide receivers, but beyond that, I don't really have a lot of confidence. And honestly, I don't, I don't 100% have confidence who the number one or number two are. For all I know, Dobbs is going to be number one and Christian's not, you know, be the number two. And there'll be a very close third with Reed or, or I don't know, maybe Reed won't play very much at all. So I'm not going to go entirely down that rabbit hole. But again, that, that's just kind of a interesting way to look at it. So that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to change my tune on Christian. And although it's very lofty to say that he maintains that yards per route run, I'm just going to say that he does it. Christian's at 1,100, and I'll put uh, Romeo Dobbs at 650, 700. Um, I, I, I don't exactly know the best approach to look at the tight ends, but but... Rather than maybe making a specific prediction, maybe we'll get there, maybe we won't, I don't know. Um, I just want to kind of take a look at what some of the tight ends, the rookie tight ends, have been doing. Um, Again, very unique situation because we don't really have established receivers, kind of Christian, but, you know, we we don't have like a Devontae or whatever that's sitting there, or even established tight ends like a lot of other teams do. We we have a brand spanking new group, and for all I know, Musgrave is going to be our number one receiver like you have in Baltimore or Kansas City. Um, if you look at the tight ends from just last year, there were three receivers that cracked 400 yards. None of them even cracked 450, much less 500. Cade Otten ran the most routes. He and Chigazim Okonkwo tied at 449 yards. So the, the best tight end from last year was Chigazim Okonkwo out of Tennessee, 449 yards, um, three touchdowns. Now, I'm not going to do what a lot of people are doing and saying, look, rookie tight ends never succeed. They always suck. And so you just, you know, unless there's some kind of freak, this, that, or the other. I mean, Kyle Pitts had 1,026. Now, I'm not saying he's Kyle Pitts, but I am saying it's it's not necessarily true that tight ends struggle early. I, I don't understand why people say that. I think tight ends generally are bad. There's very few good tight ends in the NFL. So it might just be the fact that there's so many tight ends that come in and none of them necessarily become 1,000-yard receivers. That may be what we're looking at. But again, as far as grades and whatnot, you want to see a, a position that doesn't succeed. Look at, t- look at defensive tackle. None of them are any good. Tight ends, though? I mean, a lot of them grade out fairly well. But uh, 2021, Pat Fryermuth had 522 yards and seven touchdowns. That was a wildly successful season. Kyle Pitts, 1,000 yards and only one touchdown. Uh, wildly successful for a different reason. Uh, John Bates also graded out very well didn't do as well statistically. And then if you go back to 2020, there was only two tight ends that cracked 200 yards. Cole Komet was number one with 259 and two touchdowns. Now, quality of tight end also factors into this. This was a good tight end draft. The year Cole Komet got drafted was terrible. Cole Komet was by far the number one tight end. He really wasn't that good. So I think potentially a big part of it is you see very little yards per route run. I have a feeling this has to do with low targets, right? You run a route, you don't get thrown at. You also run a route, you don't get very deep. It's going to hurt your yards per route run. In 2020, the highest of anybody that ran somewhat significant amount of routes was 1.02. I guess you could say Albert Albert Okwegbanam at 2.28, which is incredibly high. Probably why he graded out with an 83.2 PFF grade. So the stats weren't great, but the, the usage was phenomenal. And again... If you take Al- Albert Ukwegbanam, who had an 83 PFF grade, 82 receiving grade, 
And you give him the amount of opportunities, he only had 53 as a rookie, that Musgrave is going to get, you've got yourself a heck of a uh, a receiver. And also Chigazium from this past year had 2.61 yards per route run on 172 routes run, which is wild. And, and by the way, should be noted, Tennessee got rid of their wide receivers, so he ended up being a primary target. Nearly 200 routes run and also benefited from that um, 85 receiving grade, 2.61. But as far as the normal yards per route run, maybe 1.5-ish, the question then becomes usage. Well, if you look at even just Robert Tunyon, um, Robert Tunyon was 20th in the amount of routes run. So if we assume just a relatively low kind of, not bottom of the barrel, but moderate 1.5 yards per route run, higher than what Robert Tunyon had, but I don't mind that. You're looking at about 550 yards out of um, Musgrave. Now, it may not be that much because you might have, you know, more a little bit more of craft or whatever we're utilizing in the passing game, which we didn't with Mercedes Lewis for obvious reasons. And so there may be a little bit more of a split. But I don't think 500 is out of reach, especially considering the style of receiving tight end that he is with his speed and his size and everything, we could easily see a higher yards per route run. If he's closer to what Chigazium had, which, I mean, he was way up there at 2.6. If we even just say two yards per route run, we're up over 700 yards for Musgrave. But again, usage is going to be a big question. How many times is he actually going to run routes for this team? I, I tend to think it'll be a decent amount. That's me sort of betting on the Packers changing their philosophy from what it was when we were in this all-in window thing with Aaron Rodgers where, you know, if you're young and you don't know the offense, go sit down. We need the veterans to try to push us toward a Super Bowl championship, whereas now it's more about let's get these guys geared up and experienced so that when we're more ready to go on a run, we'll be more, you know, ready. And so we're going to push people without their training wheels, I think, a little bit. Also, just what freaking options do you have, right? All right, last one for fun. Lucas Van Ness. Now, obviously, I want to look at this rather than from a perspective of totals, but um, more so how good were they beating offensive tackles? Because a lot of rookies are going to come in. They're going to be the number two, number three, whatever. So they may not get as much usage. I think Lucas Van Ness may get more usage than some others with Rashawn Gary being out. At least I'm hoping. The unfortunate reality, if we just look at last year, um, everybody kind of sucked, and that includes Aiden Hutchinson. He had, yes, he had 11 sacks, and George Karloftis had eight sacks, and that's such a monumental achievement, except for the fact that the pressures actually weren't very good. Aiden Hutchinson managed 53 pressures on 566 attempts. That's not even 10%. That's terrible. In fact, his win percentage, which is how many times he beat the offensive tackle, not even including getting to the quarterback, was only 12.4%, which was second among rookies. And really, that's not unusual. If you go back to 2021, um, Number one in terms of pressures was Odafe Owe, Jason Owe. He had 49 pressures on 421 attempts. Aziz Ojolari, 42-435, 39-402, 39 I mean, everybody's barely at 10%. Highest win percentage was 12.7%. Year before that, Chase Young, 42 pressures, 498 attempts. That sucks. Uh, Kalevon Chason, 29 pressures, 336 attempts. That's trash. DJ Wonham, 22 out of 273. Terrible. Uh, Alex Highsmith, 21 out of 224. Not even 10%. Yatur Grossmatos, 20 out of 226. Not even 10%. Now, if you go back to 2019, 
when you got Nick Bosa, 102 pressures on 595 attempts, or Josh Allen, 49 out of 388, or Brian Burns, kind of, 30 out of 290. It's about 10%. It's not that good. That's, that's about it, though. Josh Allen and Nick Bosa as rookies. Even Rashawn Gary had 16 pressures on 152 attempts. That's just barely above 10%. So, with that said, I think history would tell us we shouldn't really expect him to come in and be much more than sort of a 10% pressure rate person. I do think he's going to get utilized a decent amount. For example, Kingsley and Igbare, um, 255 attempts. I believe it'll be more than that. So let's push it up closer to Alex Wright, who was at 311. If we put him at 10%, that would put him at 31 pressures. Now, for the heck of it, I decided to look at um, the average pressure-to-sack rate, and it's 16%. So on average, 16% of your pressures turn into sacks. So at that, that would put Lucas Van Ness at five sacks on the season. So 31 pressures, five sacks. So um, I, I guess you could say tempered expectations for pretty much everybody except Christian Watson. Relatively, um, I don't want to say high expectations, but the only other person that I would think maybe I'm looking at is possibly having a bigger role than some Packer fans would be Luke, uh, yeah, Luke Musgrave. But I don't really know what people are thinking about Musgrave. And I'm not even saying he hits 500. I'm just saying I think it's within reach. So... In recap, if I can even remember because I didn't write it down, roughly like 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns for Christian Watson. Call it 650, 700 for Romeo Dobbs. Don't think I did touchdowns. 500-ish for Luke Musgrave. And then 31 pressures, 5 sacks for Lucas Van Ness. Of course, none of these are set in stone. He could absolutely blow this thing out of the water and have a fantastic Nick Bosa-type season. But just looking back at kind of where expectations lie compared to where I'm at this point going to orient myself. And you can go through a lot of other players and do this. I think one of the big things you probably would have to do if you want to get more specific is really lay out what percentage of the offense each person is going to get, right? So how many offensive plays are we going to run? What percentage of that is pass? What percentage of that is run? All right, it gets super nuanced super fast, but you'd have to kind of figure that out. You'd you'd also have to look at like personnel, you know, how much you're going to rotate people in and out. You know, we if if we're using three wide receivers more, then then you can have a third wide receiver do more. If if it's not, then you're probably looking at tight ends and running backs getting involved more than that third wide receiver. It gets very granular very fast. But anyways, I just wanted to have a little bit of fun and and at least do it partially for myself, so I have a frame of reference so that when people ask me next time, I'll have a little bit of a better idea, I guess. And also starting to set some of these expectations now, and then as training camp comes, we can start to adjust. But you can't really adjust your thoughts if you don't have any thoughts. So anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your day. Um, Man, what are we, two days away? Boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh. Getting exciting. Have a good night. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.